before we get started today, Tommy has a real quick announcement, um, something that she'd like you guys to just kind of look out for. So I'm going to throw it to you, Tommy. Yeah, thank you. So uh, not a happy announcement, but something that's really important that's going on right now is that uh, one of my former students is missing and has been uh, at the time of this recording for over a week. So we are just asking that people in the Midwest, specifically in northern Indiana, keep a lookout for Hoda Rushdie. She is 15 years old. Her birthday is November 3rd, 2004. Uh, her race is white. She has brown eyes. She is five foot four and about 170 pounds. She's got lots and lots and lots of light brown curly hair. She has a brown birthmark on her right index finger and some cutting scars on her left arm. She was last seen wearing black Nike gym short shoes, black basketball shorts, and a light gray sweatshirt or t-shirt. She also has braces with lime green um, bands. So she was last seen on October 4th at the 1300 block of Brummett Lane in South Bend, Indiana, which is right close to the Mishawaka line um, here in South Bend. She um, is, and this is on her missing flyer, so this is not a violation of privacy. She is uh, currently being treated for bipolar disorder and does not have access to her medication, uh, they don't think, right now. So, um, So she is missing and potentially in danger uh, missing that medication. So if you see her, please contact 911 or the South Bend Police Department at 574-235-9201. Again, she, so she is, like I said, about 5'4", 170. She's got kind of, uh, she's white, but she's got kind of real olive skin. And like I said, like big, curly, light brown, like highlighted hair. So what she usually wears at a bun on top of her head, she's an incredibly smart 15-year-old girl, and we very much so hope that she is found safe. Welcome back to Midwretched. Welcome back, friends. Yeah. We're friends now. I think we are. This is episode now. six. Is it? Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, it is episode six. That's awesome. Good for us. We've improved our audio. This is what we're going to sound like from now on. Yes. We have. We have improved. What else have we improved on? It's fall. It's fall. That's way better. Yeah. I picked apples today. Oh, I'm so jealous. Oh, it's I mean, gumbo. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. We're in good shape here, and we have now, like, I think we both have really robust lists of cases, and this one that you're doing tonight, from what you've been hinting around to me in text message, it sounds like it is pretty crazy. It's a bit of a doozy. Yeah. There's some weird kind of twists and turns that it's going to take, but it is still in court. I did not realize until I was maybe three quarters of the way through the research. Oh. It apparently just escaped my realization that there are aspects of this that are still in court. So if I do a little extra caveating and extra hedging, it's because of that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. There's still some details out there that aren't completely clear. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about them when we get there. 
This one is, where's this one? This one is in Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, okay, good. Take us to the Great Plains. It's in Lincoln, Nebraska and within like a six hour radius of that. Okay. Because what else are you going to do in Lincoln, Nebraska other than drive around a lot? Yeah, I, I've heard people from smaller cities say that. <laughs> and that's where we're going to start. Okay. In a small city called Neli, Nebraska. Neli. Neli. Okay. I think it's Neli. N-E-L-I-G-H. It's a town of only about 1,500 people. Oh, wow. That's so tiny. It is. A lot of our cases take us to towns that size, though, which is I think I is really interesting. Um, but we're going to enter on to the main subject of today's case. Her name is Sydney Loof. Sydney Loof is a absolutely adorable 24-year-old woman. Oh. There's a lot of crazy twists and turns, but reading her backstory just like making me want to cry. She was seemed like the sweetest, most kind-hearted, just like a lovable young woman. Aww. I got a lot of this information. Her mom runs a Facebook page mm. and has been posting a lot of the court documents and the investigation as it's come out. She obviously like cares a whole lot about this girl. Yeah. Um, and everybody in this town really seemed kind of, again, really torn up when she disappeared. Yeah. So I'll tell you a little bit about Sydney first. Okay. Sydney, by all accounts, like literally every single account that I read, was that she was just like super sweet, reliable, would do literally anything for the people that she cared about. Mm. She grew up with two teacher parents. Yes. And- Right. Aww. Her dad was actually went on to become a principal and her mom was a teacher. Aww. She had an older brother and a younger sister. Um, and they also were really super duper close. Mm. Um, Sydney was apparently pretty much a tomboy, kind of grew up loving fishing, basketball, golf. Apparently she was super competitive with her older brother. <laughs> she played a lot of sports in high school or up to high school, but she eventually had to stop, especially playing golf and basketball because she developed scoliosis. Ouch. But apparently she like, she kind of found her way. She had a ton of friends, kind of found where she fit in. She graduated high school, did pretty well, and after high school, she went on to work at the local Menards. Nice. Which is the heartland of the heartland. It sure We is. all know. Yeah. <laughs> um, she worked at the local one in Neli for about two years before transferring to Lincoln, which is a little bit big of a bigger city. Yeah. So she grew so, up in Neli. She grew up in Neli. Um, when she was about 20, then she moved to Lincoln. Lincoln is apparently about two and a half hours away from Neli. Oh, wow. So she actually made a pretty deep, like a big move. That's a pretty big move, especially from what it sounds like. She was, like I said, super close to her family and she stayed super close. Like she would drive home on the weekends. Her little sister would come stay there. They'd make dinner, watch movies together. It sounds adorable. Sydney was also a crystal lover. Yes. (laughs) So when her... When her mom would come visit her in Lincoln, they would go to the crystal shops. Her favorite was Amethyst. Oh, that's one of my favorites, too. My mommy's taking me to the crystal shop, too. It's adorable. (laughs) Shout out to the Alhambra Institute in Dearborn. Uh, Sydney also had a cat named Mimsy. Oh, my gosh. That's so cute. Like, can this girl get any more adorable? Sounds so sweet. (laughs) Apparently, she... Her dream was to become a veterinarian. Oh. 
She wanted to move to either Denver or down south to become a veterinarian, but she couldn't pull herself away from her family. Wow, that's so sweet. She also, small detail, but we'll come back to it later. She had some absolutely beautiful tattoos. Oh. Um, she had like a really kind of like ornate yin yang tattoo. Cool. And then she had this one on her bicep in this absolutely beautiful script that said, everything will be wonderful someday. Oh, I love that. Right. Like, you want to be friends with this person. Yeah, I I mean, she sounds like someone that we would hang out with, honestly. Definitely. Yeah. She was also apparently struggling with some depression. Mm -hmm. Her family, her friends were pretty aware of it. In early November, she had actually taken a weekend to go home to spend some time with friends and family. Her mom helped her to set up an appointment with a doctor to get on a new prescription for antidepressants. Mm. What year are we in? So we're in November 2017. Mom helped her set up an appointment to get the antidepressants. They had been talking about this. Her family knew, even her work knew, because apparently there were some days that Sydney would call in Basically, just depression sick. Yeah. Like, couldn't get out of bed, you know, waking up crying. And it's nice to be able to say that her job seemed really supportive of her. That's fantastic, because that's real. So Right? Yeah. Like, they were really responsive. They would check in on her. Mm -hmm. But she was super reliable, even with the depression, she never no-showed. She was always there. She would pick up shifts for other people. Mm. I read this somewhere that I thought was, like, the sweetest thing in the entire world. She found out that one of her coworkers was just, like, in a really shitty living situation and, like, really unsafe conditions to be living in. Mm. So she basically just, like, let them live with her until they got back on their feet. Aww. And I think that just, like, shows you, like, what a good person this is. Yeah, just a big heart and yeah. a love, compassion for other people. Yeah, even though, like, she's dealing with her own stuff. Yeah. But... She's a trooper. She's trying and... She's being kind to other people while she's dealing with her own stuff and... Yeah. She's trying yeah. to medicate and deal with it and take care of it and we love that. We love it. We love yeah. family that supports her in, like, every way, shape, and form. Totally. And Mm. we love Menards for also supporting her. (laughs) We do love Menards. Yeah. And for having the best price on red vines. Yes. This side of the Mississippi. (laughs) So in over this weekend in November, she was visiting her old friends um, as well as her family. And everybody had said, yeah, we know she's struggling with the depression. She's trying to take care of herself. She seemed kind of on the upswing of a bit of an episode. Mm. um so they said you know her affect sounded a little bit more bright she seemed a little bit more hopeful but while she was home over the weekend she was also like you do you get your girls together tell them about what's going on in your life mm-hmm. sydney had told them that she had been doing a little online dating she had met this girl named audrey that she had a date set up with and she was like you know sharing their messages back and forth you know saying like oh i'm so excited she seems real cute blah 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 um she sent pictures of this girl to her friend and to her little sister oh so while she was taking a little bit of a mental health break she seemed okay otherwise her mom drove back with her to lincoln on sunday got her all set up at home and sydney kind of went back to work in her daily routine okay So this brings us to Monday. She goes back to work next couple of days. 
again, same kind of Sydney talking with her friends, whatever, tells them about the date that she has set up with, on Tuesday with this Audrey girl. Um, Tuesday comes around, same thing. She meets up for the date where basically they just kind of drive around country roads. They smoke, they get to know each other, they chat. So Audrey was real? Yes. Okay. Okay. I was waiting for it to be... (laughs) Well, I was waiting for it to be like, Audrey sounds like a really cute girl. And then you show up and it's like, not Audrey. It's not Audrey. Yeah. But it actually was Audrey. It was Audrey. Audrey showed up for the date. They had a nice adorable little country date driving smoking laughing cute smoking yeah. something that's safe to smoke while driving i hope i mean marijuana oh so no but okay so no yeah i that was such a mom slash teacher thing to say like were they I know. safe while they were, were they safe were they being safe <laughs> i hate myself <laughs> anyway continue <laughs> so anyway date ends audrey drives her home drops her back off at her apartment Sydney kind of again messaged back friends everything was good we really hit it off we're gonna meet back up again tomorrow after work great Sydney goes to her shift at Menards on Wednesday again texting her friends telling people that she worked with that the date had gone well finishes off her shift um I think she was working it said that she was working in the lumber yard that day finishes off her shift and goes home gets ready for the date that was the last anybody heard from her oh my gosh Oh. Thursday comes around and Sydney doesn't show up for work. Okay. Again, her coworkers, her HR manager really begin to worry because that was super out of character for Sydney. Yeah. Like I said, she might take a day, a mental health day, but she would always call in, get somebody to cover her shift, whatever she needed to do. Yeah. She's not the no call, no show type. Exactly. And I think that especially knowing that Sydney was struggling with depression for her to no-show, her coworkers and her HR manager, her name is Leah Shaw, started reaching out to her, checking in on her. They sent one of her coworkers to her apartment to try to see if they could, you know, check in on her, do a wellness check, whatever. Um, at the same time, her her friends start noticing that Sydney isn't responding to text messages or calls, social media, anything. And she sounds from what you say, like she's pretty focused on her phone. Like she texts all day. She stays in touch with her friends. So not answering back. Oh yeah. Yeah, That would be unusual. I forgot to mention that. Like the last thing she did before these dates was like these adorable Snapchats of like ready for my date. Aww. Like you do when you're 24, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. So the fact that she wasn't responding to any of those, mm. like, kind of set people off. Her mom started calling her. Her sister started calling her again. No response. Mom called the police pretty quickly. And nobody says this in any of the research. But just, again, as a mental health professional, I'm like, they had to be thinking, maybe she did something. Maybe yeah. she's in the hospital, you know. Yeah, where should we be looking? Yeah, what what's going on? Her mom drove to her house. So again, makes that two and a half hour drive mm-hmm. because she wasn't answering the phone. And mom sees Sydney's cat was left without any food or water. Oh. And that is always the sign that something's not right. Yeah, yeah. So the police come to the apartment and this is where we meet Sergeant Taylor Cooper. Tyler Cooper. I'm sorry. 
Okay, Tyler he, Cooper. Tyler Cooper. He is the first officer to identify her as a missing person. Mm-hmm. Because when he went into her house, all the lights were on, the car was in the driveway, and her purse was left on the kitchen counter. Mm-hmm. So again, we know you don't leave the house really without your purse. Yeah. That's where your phone is, all of that stuff. Her phone actually was missing. Okay. There were no signs of an overdose, no signs of a struggle in the apartment. Mm. The investigators on the case were Sergeant Cooper, um, Jake Dillsaver, and Cameron Cleland, who testify later kind of about some of the things that they saw. Their first action, because they didn't have her phone, was to figure out her last phone ping, right? Mm Mm-hmm. They checked the records, and her phone's last location was connected to a tower in nearby Wilburn, Nebraska. Okay. So that's about, I want to say half hour to an hour away from Lincoln. Okay. So they had a broad location, but not much of anything else. Mm. At the same time that this was going down, there was a huge community-wide search for Sydney. Mm. Her family and friends gathered to get the word out. So this is literally probably two days after her disappearance they start the vigil mom starts to freak out wondering if it was an abduction if it was human trafficking Mm. all of that kind of stuff they have a candlelit vigil they start tying green ribbons to trees and poles to build awareness this one i thought was so sweet her brother was a basketball coach Mm. and his team the kids on his team at the high school Tied green ribbons to their shoes to raise awareness for her at their game. Oh my gosh, I love yeah, that. so sweet. So, sweet. so the whole town just whole town shows turns up. out for this girl. Yeah, not even just the town, but the local um, Native American tribe, the Ponca tribe, start reaching out. The police use a lot of the awareness to get tips in mm-hmm. um, and to connect with family and friends who might have any kind of leads. Yeah. They connect with her friend, Brittany. Okay. Brittany was one of the friends that she had chatted with and hung out with over the weekend that she was home. Brittany said she seemed happy. She seemed like her normal self. She was, you know, obviously coping with some depression. They also interview her coworker, Brooklyn. Both Brittany and Brooklyn say, you know what? She did mention that she had a date that night. Mm. And this is the girl's name. Brooklyn goes on to find Audrey on Tinder. Good job, Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, because they're all like, well, we know it's this girl, but we know it's an online date. We don't know who it is. Yeah. Brooklyn matches with her on Tinder, chats her up, gets her phone number and information, and gives it directly to the cops. That's really clever. I loved it. So the cops obviously immediately try to contact Audrey, but they quickly learn that that was a fake number. No. Yeah. It was a fake burner number from an app. But they were able eventually, by backtracking through apps, to connect it to the number of a 23-year-old woman named Bailey Boswell. Interesting. So they connect Bailey to the location in Wilbur, Nebraska. Bailey's apartment was in Wilbur, Mm. the apartment that she shared with her roommate, Aubrey. So who are Bailey and Aubrey? Yes, please tell me who these people are. <laughs> I have, like, such a headache about this right now. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. We'll get there, but first we're going to go to their apartment. <clears throat> okay, fine. All right. So we go, we find their apartment. They live in a little basement apartment. 
The landlord lets them in because the landlord finds them a little suspicious too. When the police get to the apartment, they are greeted with the overwhelming stench of bleach. Oh, God. Obvious wipe marks on the wall that show that it had been cleaned recently with bleach. Wow. And a broken AC that had been broken from running too cold. Oh. Yeah. So immediately, obviously, Bailey and Trail, Bailey Boswell and Aubrey Trail were named persons of interest in an official police release. They were trying to contact and reach out to all of these people, but they weren't getting a response. What they were getting were some really fucking weird Facebook messages. Interesting. Okay, tell me more about this. So Aubrey and Bailey started sending out these fucking weird-ass Facebook video messages. They were denying any involvement in anything. And just behavioral observations... They were dressed in all black, sunglasses, very flat affect, very cold in tone, very stiff posture. Have you watched these videos? Are they available? Yes. Okay. Um, I, they were still up on, uh, the, I think it was the Omaha newspapers website. Aubrey sounds just frankly unhinged. He talked the most in these videos. So Aubrey is a dude. Aubrey is a dude, yes. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So potentially, Sydney, she was meeting up with Audrey. Audrey slash Bailey. But it's Bailey. Mm -hmm. I assume that that's who she actually was hanging out with, was Bailey. Okay. So Aubrey is the one who is doing a lot of the talking in these videos. He starts off by saying that, basically, how do I want to say this? You know the very common now conspiracy theory of they're trying to control the media narrative and they don't want to hear my side of the story? Oh, yes. Yeah. He goes on and on about that, claiming in these videos that he sees that he's a person of interest and that he's been trying to call the cops and he left messages with 911 and investigator Cleland. And I'm like, that's not how 911... That's not really how that works, actually. It's not like a answering service. Not a messaging service. That's crazy. I read that paragraph like four times and watched the video on repeat just to be like, what are you trying to say here? That is super interesting. And not to mention, like, all I assume that all the police have said is this is a person of interest, not yes. anything about him as a person or a character, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Correct. Because I watched the, the video of the announcement. Interesting. And they're just like, this is a person of interest. We are looking for these two people. Got it. He basically said that the police were harassing him and Bailey and that they should just call him back if they want to get a hold of him. Mm. So do we know why the landlord thought that they were creepy? Because of the smell of bleach and they would just see people kind of coming in and out. Oh, okay. I was just curious, like, if the landlord thought that they were weird and creepy beforehand or just like lately. Okay. Yes, beforehand, but this one kind of set it over the edge. Got it. Yeah. He talked about how they were sitting at the apartment in Wilbur for a week with another girl 
Um, and then the news came on and they were driving with this other girl who was Bailey's quote, sometimes girlfriend. Um, and they drove that girlfriend home because the police were harassing her. Okay. It was weird. And then Boswell got onto or started talking. Um, and she confirmed that yes, she was on a date with Sydney that night. She said that Sydney was a lovely person. They had a great date. And she didn't know anything about the disappearance. She said that she dropped Sydney off at, quote, a friend's house, didn't identify a friend, didn't give a name. Um, and that was the last she saw. But Sydney finishes off, finishes off her statement with, I pray for Sydney and I hope she's found soon. I mm -hmm. wish the family the best and I'm sorry she wasn't with you on Thanksgiving. Because we're at the end of November now. Ugh. Mm-hmm. They made a bunch of other videos, but really it was the same kind of rambling conspiracy, the media trying to control the narrative kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah. So, give you a little bit more kind of background on Aubrey. Please. Aubrey is a 51-year-old man. What? Yeah. Aubrey is a 51-year-old man with past convictions related to theft, check fraud, and generally just being a con artist. What? Yeah. Okay. And his yeah. roommate is a 23-year-old woman. Yes. Interesting. Which, he like, not to be judgy or anything like that. It's just not something that you see often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the two of them had lived together for just the past couple of months in that basement apartment in Wilbur. They also apparently ran an antique business. Hmm. Which, by the way, if you want to have a con, antiques business is a great way to con people. Yeah, it's a good front. It, yeah. Real great way to uh, hide some money. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know what? I could see that. And really easily rip people off. Yeah. Um, and this is a bit of a spoiler, but you can tell this is where it's going. One of the things that they eventually try to claim in court is that their apartment smelled like bleach because they were cleaning antiques. Oh, jeez. No. The no. state, <laughs> the prosecutor has an expert come in to say, you would never clean antiques with bleach. That no. It's more harm than good. That's obviously a lie. Yeah, that makes no sense. So Boswell and Trail were eventually finally apprehended in Branson, Missouri on November 30th. Hmm. So, so they went on the run. They went on the run. They not according to them. So Sydney disappeared on November seventeenth. Okay. And they were apprehended in Branson November thirtieth. That is a six-hour drive. Interesting. I Google Maps it. Yeah, as you should. Mm -hmm. So at this point, though, just to make sure I'm clear, like they're apprehended under what pretense? Like we don't have a body, right? Correct. We don't have a body at this point. Okay. So they're apprehended with the... in relation to her disappearance. Okay. I think at this point they're thinking that it's a kidnapping. Hmm. At her arrest, Boswell had a, had a list of 12 to 13 women's names with a word or a phrase next to each one. Oh, no. Phrases included healer, see danger, what? and fire. Interesting. 
Boswell t- continued to say that she had nothing to do with it and that they just had their date. She dropped Sydney off at a friend's and that was the end of it. And that has continued to be Boswell's story for a long time. But I assume that she can't tell us what friends she dropped Sydney off with. Correct. She never gives a name of a friend. That's not suspicious at all. Not suspicious at all. Especially, again, this is the Midwest, the home of text me when you get home. Yes, it is. And how many times have we had that conversation? I'm sorry. I'm getting the most shamed look right now because I'm the worst at text me when you get home. I know. I'll get a text like four days later. It's like, I'm home. I'm like, great. I thought you were in a ditch. But even my grandma has yelled at me about that. As she should. And Sydney would have texted when she got home. It sounds like it. It sounds like it. And she wouldn't have like random friends either. I mean, she just sounds like a really pretty stable person. Yeah, she sounds super stable. So meanwhile, they apprehend Boswell and Trail. And the police and the investigators are still searching for Sydney. They eventually start land and air searches of Lincoln and the surrounding counties. Okay. Finally, about 90 miles southwest of Lincoln in rural Clay County, air searches see some bags by the side of the road. Oh, no. They then see, send out the roadside searchers who eventually discover a plastic bag with an arm sticking out. Oh, my God. And this is how they identify Sydney. <gasps> By the tattoo on her arm that said, everything will be wonderful someday. Oh, my God. That's so sad. And that's where I started crying while I was doing this research. Yeah, seriously. (sighs) The police end up continuing to search the roadside over the next two days. Um, So in between December 4th and 5th, they they recover multiple trash bags filled with Sydney's remains. Oh, my God. The medical examiner determined that she had fought back as evidenced by bruising and lacerations on her back and her arms. Mm. Her body had been cut with a thin, fine-toothed instrument like a hacksaw. Mm. Um, They were not able to recover certain organs such as her spleen and her tongue. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I can only imagine, like, what her family was going through when they yeah. heard all of this. Yeah. Um, not only to know that your daughter's gone, but how she was discovered. Yeah. Nobody deserves that. No, no, no. And just to think, like, the what goes into being able to do that to another human person, mm-hmm. too. I mean, that speaks to a level of darkness and detachment that is... Unusual, even in true crime situations, honestly. Yeah, like that level of brutality. Mm -hmm. And disregard. Yeah. So obviously this threw the town into an uproar. The trial that we're about to get to, they did their damnedest to not let it become a circus. Mm -hmm. But... But that was hard. Yeah. Because of what they went through. The family released a statement once she was finally identified, um, saying, It's with heavy hearts that we share this most recent update with you all. Please continue to pray for Sydney and our entire family. 
May God grant eternal rest unto thee. We love you, Sydney. Oh my gosh. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like I said, her her family seems so sweet, so kind. I had read that her dad eventually quit his job just because he couldn't deal with the grief and his and the work. Yeah, I got it. Um so he took some time off from that and yeah. So here we are. We've discovered the remains. We have our main suspects in custody. And now the trials get started. It was a long time before the trials really started for these people. It usually is. Yeah. Is So this was in December of 2017. Aubrey Trail's trial started in... Sorry. Started in June of 2019. Okay. That's, I mean, that's actually pretty normal for, like, a high-profile murder trial. Yeah. There were some delays, um, and we'll talk about kind of why. Mm. Boswell's trial started September 23rd, mm. as in Wednesday. Oh, my gosh. Like, three days ago? Yeah. As of Four days ago. Obviously. As of this recording... It started four days ago, so September wow. 24th. That's amazing. Yeah. So just at this point, what is there any known physical evidence that ties them other than being like the last people to, to be with her? That's what they came to find. Okay. So initially upon their arrest, what they basically had was, you know, I'm just going to go into kind of what, is released in the court testimony. Okay. Okay. I'm going to jump right into the court case. Um, you know, I'm all about jumping right into the court case. I girl, I know you are. Let me have it. So, like I said, some of the some of the delay happened because during the hearings or leading up to the hearings, Trail had two heart attacks and a stroke. Oh my gosh. And Boswell's hearing was delayed due to family health problems. I'm not. There was no other information. Hmm. So that's part of what took so long to get some of this stuff. Gotcha. So entering the trial of Aubrey Trail, the one whose testimony we have. Oh, I can't wait. He faced charges of first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. Okay. Like I said, the Nebraska courts and the police held this real close to the chest throughout Mm -hmm. the trial. Yeah. Kind of like in the Delphite murders, they didn't want a lot of the investigation to get released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that they didn't disrupt anything. And that's also kind of why I'm, like, hedging a lot of things. Yeah. Boswell hasn't gone on trial yet, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we have to go based off what's on, like, public record, and yeah. Exactly. I don't want to speculate too much, but yeah. Mm. But... Even beyond that, I think the courts made some interesting decision that I didn't necessarily understand at first, but I really came around to. Hmm. The first was that the judge banned all social media from reporters, as in the judges were not allowed to use social media. Interesting. Okay. So 
The reason for this, why reporters were banned from using social media in the courts or around the courthouse was because, like I said, Trail had suffered heart attacks and a stroke leading up to the trial. Mm -hmm. Apparently, early in the court proceedings, Trail had been removed by ambulance and taken to a hospital. Mm. Somebody tweeted this information with a picture of the ambulance with enough information that if people wanted to, they could track him to what hospital he went to. Yeah, no, that can't happen. Yeah. So the judge felt that this put Trail's life in danger of retaliation. Mm -hmm. And as much as we may come to really despise Trail, what we want is justice for Sydney. Yes. Yes. Court TV wanted to get their hands on the case. Mm. Um, They really did. I bet they did. (laughs) You're going to come to find out why. Um, But the judge felt that this would interfere with the right to a fair trial. Mm -hmm. So there was... a. Further crackdown on not only on court TV, but any video cameras, anything like that in general. Okay. Three witnesses were allowed to testify anonymously. Oh, interesting. And the judge banned the media from publishing their names. Now, this generally is pretty rare and typically is only used for minors. Yeah, I was going to say that's extremely rare. So were these people minors? No, they were all in their 20s. Interesting. Yeah. So Um, the grounds. We're going to go into it. Oh, my God. Um, I <laughs> my think questions. We'll get there. We'll get there. We're getting, we're, we're getting there. I think part of it is small townness and yeah. wanting people to still be treated fairly after this trial. Yes. Yeah. Because it will um, have an impact on your public life in exactly. a way that it wouldn't in a city like Chicago. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so that was some of the, again, when I first read it, I thought it was really weird, but I really came around to it and appreciated yeah. it. So now we're going to go into Aubrey Trail's defense. Okay. His original defense was sex game gone wrong. Of course it was. Because it, it fucking always is, right? Yeah. Ew. <sighs> no. Very recently, this defense was banned in the UK. Really? Yeah. The UK banned the rough sex defense. That's interesting. And bravo for them. Right? I'm so glad. Yeah. Those US would. Yeah, seriously. But what Trail basically said was that Sydney did meet up with both Boswell and Trail for their date, and they ended up basically what he said was Sydney said that she was having money problems and she agreed to be in a sex video and it got out of hand and he choked her by accident and he was responsible for her death as an accident he choked her by accident yes okay which by the way even if you're into choking that takes a lot of force to strangle somebody with your hands it does it takes a tremendous amount of pressure like a lot of people yeah it's it takes a lot of time and it takes I mean, there's a reason that it's an MO that is related to, like, intimacy or because it requires that, like, you're in somebody's face. It takes a lot of patience and it takes, like, sustained strength to do that. That's mm-hmm. not like, a, oh, snap, I accidentally, my finger slipped and I strangled you. That does not happen. Yes. Yes. So, again, he claimed that it was all him. Boswell had nothing to do with it. Mm. And that Sydney had consented for a fee of five thousand dollars. 
Wow. Yeah. I'm sure her family and friends were like completely outraged by this idea. Completely outraged. One of the very first pieces of evidence that the prosecutors bring forward is a series of texts between Audrey slash Boswell and Sydney that say, hey, it's just going to be you and me tonight, right? Interesting. Yeah. And Boswell responded by saying, yeah, of course. So I wonder if Aubrey came on that first date that she told her friends was okay. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I believe that he was there on the first date, but I wonder if it was like, oh, yeah, I do have this roommate. Blah, 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 conversation. Do you want to come over to my apartment tomorrow? Yeah. And say, yeah, "Yeah, okay, if it's just us. That makes sense. Because I can't imagine agreeing to a second date with somebody who brought their, like, random 30 years older roommate to our first date. Yeah. Yeah. And then telling all your friends, yeah, it was great, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I know. I would be going to my friends like, you will not believe what just happened to me. (laughs) Set aside half an hour for texting because this ain't right. Seriously. And and that's why I don't believe that that's what happened. No, it can't be. But it, it makes sense what you theorized that she, that Bailey had shared that she had a roommate and yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, But that was just one of the very first pieces of evidence that they showed. And yeah. Because mm. prosecutors basically broke down as that is a stupid ass defense. As it is. <laughs> Trail got real desperate real early. Mm. His first action was to stand up in court, yell, Bailey is innocent and I curse you all, and cut his neck with a razor. (gasps) What? Yeah. What the fart? Yeah. And this is why I think the judge was like, not court TV. Yeah, no, definitely not. And I mean, that judge, I applaud that person for Mm -hmm. the the decorum and the foresight, honestly, because like, I I assume a trial like this is, unprecedented in that area so to have the foresight to be like no we're gonna not do this is really smart yeah i will say the the cuts were pretty shallow but obviously it caused a huge outburst in court he had to be taken and removed to the hospital Mm. he was fine okay he was fine but he did not return to court by his choice okay He did not come back until several weeks later when it was his turn to testify. Interesting. Which I believe was against the advice of his attorneys. It usually is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His attorneys actually turned down the option to have a new jury, saying that they didn't think that this had clearly biased the jury. Interesting. Which, yeah, right? Well, I mean... I could see why, though, because it's not like the same jury is going to sit his trial and Bailey's trial. So so that makes sense. I mean, I guess if anything, they might have hoped that an outburst like that would potentially sway an insanity plea. Yeah. Give him some sympathy or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he had he continued to argue Bailey Boswell did nothing. Hmm. It was 100 percent me. And it was an accident. And it was an accident. Okay. But arguments, formal arguments began the next day. And prosecutors really immediately started to break down Trail's defense and his movements the days leading up to the murder. Mm. So here 
is the story of what happened leading up to the murder. Okay. As we know, Boswell slash Audrey met Sydney a few weeks prior on Tinder. They exchanged hundreds of messages that were shared with the courts. Mm-hmm. Again, including that it's just going to be the two of us text. November 14th, they had their first date. That was that date on Tuesday, where again, all of the witnesses had said, yeah, Sydney said that it was a good date. Things went well. Now, November 15th, the next day, security footage shows Boswell and Trail at the Home Depot purchasing trash bags, a folding saw, bleach, a utility knife, and a hacksaw. Oh my god. They were also spotted at a local antique shop purchasing two antique food grinders. <gasps> we also have footage of them walking into the Menards where Sydney worked in the lumber yard that day. Why? We have no reason to believe that Sydney knew that they were there or saw them. Wow. Okay. Well, that's Jesus. Okay. It's still circumstantial, but it's pretty damn circumstantial yeah pretty damn yeah pretty damn damning. damning pretty yeah. damn damning so sydney has her second date with audrey slash boswell on november 16th we don't know what happened so we have about a 24 to 48 hour gap until november 17th when trail and boswell traveled to council bluffs After picking up a woman in Omaha, Nebraska, who had been seeing Boswell. Oh, my gosh. We're going to hear her testimony later. Oh, interesting. That same day on the 17th, these three checked into the Holiday Inn at the Ameristar Casino. Mm. Boswell and Trail left the hotel and traveled to Nebraska City Walmart on November 18th. We have footage from this day of them at Walmart that shows them very nervous and pretty shaky. Interesting. At 11.45 on November 18th, the Lincoln police call the Tinder number attached to the Audrey slash Boswell account and eventually track it back to Boswell. At 1.20 p.m. on the same day, the pair turned back east to at a Shopco in Plattsmouth before going back to Council Bluffs, where they dropped off the other woman. Interesting. So she made it back home safely. Good. Motel clerks from Grand Island and Kearney, where the three stayed from the 19th to the 22nd, also testified that they were just bouncing around between hotels, before Hmm. finally traveling to Branson, Missouri, where they were apprehended on November 30th. Gotcha. So when you made the comment about... Ending up six hours away, they had also been doing this, like, hopping around. Yeah. They were really trying to cover their trails, is what that sounds like to me. And remember, this is during the time that they're making all those weird Facebook videos. Yeah. And so they're making those, like, on the road? Yeah. Yeah, they're in the car for a lot of them. Now, do we know if they are romantically involved with each other, or is it, like, kind of this strange, like... We're getting there. Murder partnership? We're getting there. (laughs) So now we're going to hear about those three witnesses that were allowed to testify anonymously. Okay. They were reported in the media as either witness one, two, and three, or by their initials. Okay. 
Um, I'm going to go by their initials just because that helps me keep track of them better. Yeah. Our first witness is A.H. Okay. A.H. stated that she met Boswell on Tinder, again, under a pseudonym. Mm -hmm. She was quickly introduced after meeting with Boswell a few times to trail. Trail began to buy her clothes, pay for her manicures, and gave her an allowance of $200 a week. Hmm. He basically served as a sugar daddy, and she said she called him daddy. Oh. She said that she was part of a group that required all of the group members to have sex and to work in the antique shop, participate in thefts, and that's how they would get paid the $200 a week plus the gifts. What? Was he running a cult? Kind of. Interesting. A.H. claimed that Trail referred to himself as a vampire. What? And Boswell as the Queen Witch. I wish that podcasts could, like, record your face. I know. Which is not the point of podcasts, I understand. But but there's a face going on right now. Yeah, I'm very confused. It feels... And again, like, you don't want to ever lose sight of Sydney because what's happening in my head, honestly, is that this is becoming, like, cartoonish. Like, this feels like a badly written Twilight fanfic gone wrong. Right? And this is real life. And this is something that they were actually telling women. I want you to put that feeling on a shelf and keep it. I don't your... shelf my feelings. Okay. Put it in front of you. Okay. Okay. Trail claimed to A.H. that he could fly and had psychic powers Jeez. and apparently showed her how he could do that by hypnotizing Boswell. What? Trail said that A.H. could become a witch as well if she killed someone and, quote, took their breath. Oh, my God. That she could gain more powers if she tortured them beforehand. Oh, my God. And that this would also turn her on sexually. Oh, my gosh. She claimed that Boswell was sexually excited by seeing people in pain. Mm. Trail's attorney, so Trail's attorney, mm -hmm. his defense says, quote, we've got the sex, we've got the witches, we've got a vampire, and then you start talking about torturing and killing people, and this was exciting to you. And A.H. says, yes. Wow. She admitted that she initially would have done this and even named somebody to Boswell that she wanted to kill. Boswell took her to see that person so that A.H. could point them out at Walmart. <gasps> and Boswell said, no, that's not the right person. Interesting. Boswell wanted A.H. to kill another member of the group named A.G., who testifies mm. next, because A.G. apparently didn't have the evil in her. Okay. And that was what made A.H. uncomfortable and when she started backing away from things, because she didn't want to kill somebody that she knew like that. Wow. So my question at this point is... Is Boswell bought in to Trail's fantasy, or is she operating with him as a partner in it? I can only say, like, from my opinion, and from my opinion, it's that she is an equal partner in this. Yeah. She seems to be as active in doing this as Trail is. You know what this means, right? This is going to be our first episode that we're going to have to do an update episode for. Oh, yeah. Someday. Oh, we're going to have to. Yeah. yeah. So we need to keep tabs on what goes on here. Oh, I have been. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So she 
So A.H. didn't mm-hmm. want to continue with the group because they asked her to kill A.G. Yes. Because A.G. wasn't evil enough to hang. Basically. With the coven. Basically. Okay. So now we're going to meet A.G. Okay. A.G. told a very similar story about meeting Boswell on Tinder under yet another pseudonym. She using different names every time? Different names every time. Wow. She was introduced to this, quote, cult of witches and vampires with psychic powers. She was told she would be the 13th girl in the cult. Just like A.H., Trail would give her $200 a week and pay for clothes and gifts. Hmm. Told her that she could have powers by taking souls from taking somebody's last breath. Wow. A.G. shared that there were rules for the group. That they had to stay overnight with Boswell and Trail at least once a week. Participate in group sex with the use of toys and reportedly BDSM. Mm. You would be paid extra for involvement with the antiques business, which included setting up the deals, ripping people off, stealing antiques, and eventually involvement in drug moving. Interesting. Trail told AG also that he could fly and read minds. Hmm. A.G. left the group in September 2017, just weeks before Sydney's murder. Wow. Okay. And the reason she said that she wanted to leave was she was doing a job for them. She went to TJ Maxx to buy purses that would be used for stealing and for drug sales. Mm. And she said, I was in the store at TJ Maxx and I looked at myself and I didn't recognize the person in the mirror. And I told Bailey I wanted out. Interesting, which is, I mean, we could go down a whole nother rabbit hole about cults and cult psychology and how that works and how people get roped in and how like very level headed, Mm -hmm. normal, well adjusted everyday people get roped into stuff. Yes, exactly. That is, yeah. AG denied that she ever saw any ritualistic slayings. She said that they were supposed to be done in secluded settings under a certain moon stage. She said that they stayed on good terms. She stayed on good terms with Trail and Boswell after she left the group, Mm. but caveated that by saying Trail threatened to kill her family if she ever told them what the group was doing. Oh, my gosh. So quick recap of what A.H. and A.G. are saying here. That they're participating in a cult Mm -hmm. that is heavily involved in group sex, encourages torture, run by a vampire and a queen witch. Trail is their vampire sugar daddy. They have powers that you can get, but only if you kill someone and take their breath. Oh my god. Sounds a little spooky, right? It does. Like, really something straight out of a horror novel. Yeah. All right, I want you to take that feeling that I had you put on the table and pick it back up. Okay, I got it. The novel is called Dr. Sleep, and it's the sequel to The Shining. Yes. Wait a minute. Uh, no, no, don't even Google it, because I'm going to read this to you. Okay. We've all seen The Shining, right? Yeah. Classic. We know Danny. Yes. All right. In 1980, Danny Torrance and his mother, Wendy, live in Florida. Dick Holleran, now a benevolent spirit, explains that the hotel's guests feed on Danny's psychic ability, his shining. Now that the hotel has been abandoned, the starving ghosts are pursuing Danny. 
He teaches them to lock them in imaginary boxes in his mind. Meanwhile, the True Knot, a cult of psychic vampires led by Rose the Hat, extend their lifespans by consuming steam, a psychic essence released as they torture and kill those who have the shining. Oh, you tricky bitch. So A, you want me to put my feelings on a shelf because (laughs) we have to lock them in imaginary boxes, but also Trail has completely ripped his MO Mm -hmm. out of this text. The book was published in 2013. Wow. Did that come out in court? Yeah. Interesting. How did that come out? Do you know? One of the uh, one of the lawyers, and I honestly don't know if it was Trail's lawyer or the prosecutor, um, said this, quote, If I told you this came straight from a Stephen King book, would you believe it? It's called Feeding on Steam from Dr. Sleep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that came out. That was made very blatant in court. Wow. Poor Stephen King, who's like a totally nice guy too, by the way. Yeah. Who is like not writing books to be how-to guides for developing your own murder cult. Yeah. Good Lord. Now the question I'm going to ask you now, and then we'll revisit at the end, is do you think he believed his con? I don't have a ton, a ton, a ton of background on this guy, but if he's a lifelong con artist, I'm going to guess no. Okay. I think that the only way it would make sense for him to have believed his own lie, essentially, was that if he kind of already had this theory or this idea or this, like, desire and then read Dr. Sleep Mm -hmm. and was like, oh, my gosh, this is my life. This, you know, this puts, like, words to what I've been thinking this whole time. Like, I find that to be harder to believe than I'm a shitbird and i want to have an excuse to ensnare and manipulate young women for my sexual deviance essentially like yeah now whether or not sydney or not sydney whether or not boswell believes it that is what i'm really curious about i'm very curious if she feels herself to be like the leader you know the second command or whatever he was calling her yeah or if she was operating alongside. But he sounds like a puppet master to me. Yeah, yeah. I Boswell has been pretty silent in terms of, like, media involvement, so. And she should be. I mean, that's a smart play. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to get to our last big witness, KB. Okay. KB was much less convinced of the con. Mm-hmm. But she was in a casual relationship with Boswell, a casual sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Trail apparently tried the vampire witch stuff on her, and she apparently just didn't think much of it. Like, okay. whatever, you're a weirdo. What's more important to me is the this dom-sub relationship that she has with Boswell. Mm. So that sexual relationship was consensual, active, mm. fine. Okay. And to KB, that was really all it was about. Yeah. She did testify that Boswell was into domination and torture. Mm. But KB drew the line when Boswell asked if she would ever kill for her. Oh. And KB said, nope, done. Good for you, KB. Right. 
Remember that they said they picked up a girl in Council Bluffs? Yeah. That was KB. Oh. Yeah. KB said she had no idea what had gone on beforehand. Yeah. She was used to seeing Boswell. She knew Trail. So Mm -hmm. that part wasn't weird for her, but she did say that they seemed quieter and tense when they picked her up in Council Bluffs. Interesting. And she was the one that they picked her up and they took her to the casino hotel? Yeah. Okay. She attributed the tension to an apparent planned cocaine run Mm. that I guess didn't seem to be going well. They never met up with whoever they were supposed to. And that's when they moved on to Kearney. There was some talk, and I only found it in one article, but apparently Boswell was trying to convince them to do another kill because Mm. they thought it was Thanksgiving, so no one would be missed over Thanksgiving weekend. What? That made no sense sense to me. But that's also interesting because then that was Boswell's idea, or at least Boswell was the one vocalizing that. Yep. Vocalizing the desire. Okay. While they were in Kearney, that was when KB got the voicemail from the Lincoln police. Mm. KB had been reported missing by her family. She called the family and the police the next day to reassure them that she was okay. That was when she found out that Boswell and Trail were persons of interest in this crime, and she started to freak out a little bit. Yeah. They agreed to take her home. She shared with the police that she had been using drugs with them over that weekend. Hmm. that they were traveling and she did have gaps in her memory. Oh. Now, this was when she did start to get really scared, worrying that she had participated in the murder somehow with Hmm. no memory of it. Ah, poor girl. I know. One thing that really scared her and prompted her was that apparently with Sydney's body, they found a pink leash and collar. That apparently KB wore a similar one when she was with Boswell. Ugh. But luckily, according to the investigation, it didn't seem like the timeline matched up and they cleared KB of any wrongdoing. Okay. So this entire time while they're testifying, Trail is not in court. Mm. So he's not hearing any of this testimony. But later, FBI agent Mike Maspeth and the investigators that we had mentioned before do testify. Hmm. Maspeth testifies to the interview that he had on video recording with Trail, where Trail claims that Sydney initially agreed to be in a sexual fantasy film, is what he calls it first, and then he calls it a snuff film. Oh, boy. For $5,000. He, in this video that Maspeth speaks to, Trail said that this was because she was having money problems. Again, no one in her, in Sydney's life, said this. Yeah. No one in Sydney's life recognized the person that they're trying to paint. No. And it seems like even if she had been having money problems, she had a close family with Mm -hmm. good jobs. Like, she probably would have been assisted if she really did have those issues. Exactly. That's what it sounds like. Her parents would let her move back in, do whatever they needed to do to help her, if that was even true. Yeah. He claims to have video evidence of Sydney consenting to this. Hmm. Video evidence was never produced, never found. Mm. And then Trail admits that he killed Sydney and claimed that it was an accident. Mm-hmm. He said that after she died, they panicked, and it was, quote, one horrible bad decision after another. No. So then Trail tells 
Agent Maspeth that he wants to tell him something else, but he wants to say it off camera. Oh. So they lead Trail to the bathroom where he whispers to Maspeth, Witches kill, witches kill, a life for a life, and they gain more power when they kill. He did not. He did. So is this the part where you ask me if I think he's bought into his con again? Or is there more? Trail also told Maspeth, 50% of what I tell you is bullshit. I'm sorry. 50% of what I tell you is bullshit. Mm -hmm. But he's not going to tell him which 50%. How much 50%? This guy is... I know. Really unhinged. Really unhinged. But... I I could see a scenario where somebody talking like that using this like kind of cryptic like sort of slinky sexy language mm-hmm. could be seductive in a weird way, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I yeah. could see that. I could make sense of that. I could see him wanting them to question whether or not he believes his lie. I feel like he is trying to put on a show. Yes. Like, this whole thing is him just wanting an audience. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like he wants he wants everybody else to believe it, too. Mm-hmm. He thinks he has conned the entire court and the FBI and the investigators. He thinks he is the smartest person in the room. That is so interesting. But the best part that comes out of all of this. Mm. Not the best part. The grossest part that comes out of all of this. Okay. Is the jailhouse letters between Boswell and Trail. These are what kill me. Mm. They're so childish in some ways. Yeah, they have smiling faces. I love you to infinity and back. On a one-wheeled bicycle. bicycle. What? So these are, are these from? These are from Trail to Boswell. Hey, Hey, sweetheart. sweetheart. (laughs) I love you and I miss you so much. Mm. And I am so proud of you. You are my true love. And don't you ever forget that. No one will ever have your spot. Ever here's what my favorite part is he gives up their entire play really he tells boswell what to say what his story is gonna be Mm. and what she can do i told him you didn't even know who cut up the dope or who bagged it blah 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 and then here's my favorite Oh my gosh, did he make a secret code? He made a secret code and then just put it at the top of the note. Oh, I did that when I was like writing my diary in third grade too. Did you put smiley faces in it? No, I was dark. Oh. No. But yeah, so this was very easily transcribed by police. Like literally anybody. Like literally a fourth grader. Wow. Um, So in the code, what is transcribed in the code, he says... I told you all the time that no one would seriously get hurt and you believed me. Now you know it was all lies and you know believe that I planned to kill someone all along and I used you to help me. You will have to fill in the blanks, baby, but this story is good. Nearing the end of the trial, Trail finally testified in person. I'm amazed they let him do that. I am shocked. Yeah, that's because He basically reversed his story. Okay. He admitted that he and Boswell lured Sydney to her death. I mean, the evidence was pretty clear. There was no getting out of it at that point. Yeah. He said, quote, there was no sexual fantasy per se. There was no other women there. There was none of that. That was a total fabrication on my part. What? What was he trying to get at making 
all of this in the first place? I don't know. Okay, this is super weird. He came to kind of basically accept that he was going to be found guilty, and he said, a life for a life, that's the rules in my world. Mm. The trial's defense kind of just relied on shitty stereotyping arguments mm. like Sydney's history that she had photos on her phone of lesbian sex and marijuana okay. use. Like, okay. Okay. Trail was convicted of Sydney's murder after three hours of deliberation. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So basically they had lunch and they were like, yeah, this guy did it. Yeah. They like extended that lunch for no good reason. Pretty much. <laughs> he was found guilty on first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. December 2020, he is supposed to have his hearing for the death penalty. Oh, interesting. So in Kansas, I guess there's like a three judge panel that determines whether or not you will be sentenced to death. Mm, okay. One of the things that Trail's defense did point out is you can't prove who did or did not actually kill Sydney. Hmm. I mean, I will be curious about how well. So they that hearing is in December 2020, December 2020. Testimony is scheduled through October 16th. So Trail takes responsibility for the murder itself. Yeah. He says that was him. Mm -hmm. But Boswell hasn't been cleared of it. Yeah. So again, can you prove which of the two of them actually performed the act of killing Sydney? Right. And I also just wonder from like a forensics point of view... Do they have a cause of death other than what Trail says the cause of death was? I believe that they were able to prove the cause of death was strangulation. Okay. Yeah. But Boswell is also charged with first-degree murder mm -hmm. and improper disposal of a corpse. Interesting. Her conspiracy to commit murder charges were dropped. Huh. Right? Okay, so that implies that they perhaps don't have enough... About her being like a mastermind with him. Yeah. 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 That she was kind of a pawn figure. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. So I'll be really interested. We will definitely give you guys some updates on this one. Her family is still obviously really struggling with this. Like I said, her mom still updates the Facebook page um, with all of the legal updates you know, trying to balance that idea of like keeping her memory alive, but they're still grieving. And again, yeah. this could have become such a circus. Yeah, it really could have. And I'm glad that it didn't. Yeah. So glad that it didn't because it would feel like a disrespect to her memory for it to be that way. I know that I said I would include this little bit about the Ponca tribe in Nebraska. Yeah, 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 yeah. What um, happened there? So in May of, I believe it was either this year or 2019, the Ponca tribe in Nebraska built and dedicated a bench out on the Elkhorn River to Sydney oh. um, at Neelai's Riverside Park. Apparently, the tribe's chairman told the Antelope Valley News or Antelope County News that they wanted to recognize her memory. And this was uh, reportedly in reciprocation for to efforts um, of 140 years ago, the Neelai Valley people um, took care of the grave of a punk, a girl who died there on the Trail of Tears. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just got literal goosebumps. 
Look at those. (laughs) That is really beautiful. Yeah. I think this girl is like so absolutely missed by her friends and family in this community. And it really sounds like it. And it sounds like it's one of those things where it, there's never going to be an adequate way to memorialize her to live up to how much her people loved her. But all of this is just a beautiful, beautiful tribute to what sounds like a really wonderful person. Yeah. That's the end of that story for now until again, we have updates. I will give you updates because I want to see these people put away. Yeah, me too. And I mean, Trail's going to go away. And we don't know if it's going to go away or if it's going to be facing the death penalty, which I don't believe in personally, but... Yeah. One day we'll have a long conversation about the death penalty. Indeed. Which I will look forward to. But at the end of the day, I'm just really curious what comes of Boswell and her I know. I know. I'm I'm curious if AG and AH will come back, Mm -hmm. if they'll be called to testify in that trial. I'm almost certain KG will. Yeah. KG's going to have to. I mean, it's just so connective. Yeah. I felt so bad for her when I heard her story. Yeah, seriously. Because that is, she must have been terrified. Mm -hmm. As like, uh, you know, a court geek, it makes me worry. (laughs) It makes me worry about what Boswell's case is going to look like. I know. I, I know that they moved hers out of Wilbur. Mm because apparently they said that she couldn't get a fair trial in Wilbur, which I have mixed feelings about that action. Really? Uh, just in general about moving cases. Yeah. I have very mixed feelings about it. Mm, I don't think I do. I think I'm all about it. I know that there is this, like, you know, mob with torches kind of feel sometimes that you get with these local hometown cases. Yeah. But also I feel like, the people from that town deserve to have a deserve to have a say in justice. Oh yeah, that's a good point. That's true. Like it makes you define what does a jury by your peers mean? What's a peer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. the thing about it. Yeah, that's an interesting point of view. Actually, I hadn't considered it that way. Because generally, my thought is just like, yeah, I mean, people that are accused deserve the cleanest slate possible for you know. And I think there are some where it's so extreme. That it would be literally impossible, but yeah, with this one, I I don't know. I wonder. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that was twisty and turny and sad and so fascinating. And yeah, you done messed me up. So good job. <laughs> I told you I was done. I was going to done mess you up. Yeah. That like my brain is just like, oh, yeah. So <sighs> I'm sure our listeners are in are with us in that feeling or with me at least but yeah amazing job uh wow yeah i have just like i'll be setting up a google alert so that i know what's going on with this case like (laughs) literally every day uh right i am i am going to to um seriously you guys want to like i said her mom has a facebook page for her you can probably just search um her in the search bar yeah i found it really easily yeah just Um, now Send them well wishes. Send them lots of love. Aw. Let's remind people to check us out on the socials. Yeah. So if you're not already. Facebook, Midwretched. Gmail, if you're so inclined to send us emails. Yeah. Rate us on iTunes and say nice things. Only nice things. Yes, we like nice things. Yeah. You know, uh, nice things are good. And what else do we want to say? Uh, 
but we love you guys. It's oh. soup season. It is soup season in the Midwest. Oh, I love soup season. I feel like last time we accidentally came up with our send off. <laughs> oh no! Which, which no, I think that's a good thing. You were like, "Be nice, eat cheese." We love you guys. Oh, that's that's great. I love that. Be nice, eat cheese. We, we love, love you guys. guys. That's my singing career. <laughs> it was short. <laughs> it was very short. <laughs> it's probably about the appropriate length, though. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. You're not wrong. Love you.